Welcome to Red Leg Nation Radio, your home for discussion and analysis of Cincinnati Reds baseball all year long. Now here's your host, Chad Dotson. Welcome to Red Leg Nation Radio, and we're happy again today to be joined by a longtime friend of Red Leg Nation Radio, Chris Welsh. Chris, thanks for being with us again. We always love when you can come on. Well, Bill, always a pleasure to talk to you. I know you're a true baseball fan, and uh, I love talking baseball with you. Chris, first, we want you to pass along to your new partner, John Sadak, a welcome to Cincinnati from us. And, and I think he's been almost universally gotten great reviews for his enthusiasm, preparedness, and knowledge of the team. And he's really done the work before the season started. And I think it shows. And uh, thank him for us and tell us well, tell, tell him welcome to Cincinnati for us, would you? I, I will do that. I'll point him in your direction also because he does a lot of research and he's always prepared uh, I do love his excitement and the energy that he brings to the broadcast. I thought he was a good hire. And, uh, you know, not to say I don't miss Tom Brenneman, because I do. He was my partner for 12 years. And uh, I don't necessarily, you know, on board with uh, a guy making a mistake like that and being banned for life. Uh, but uh, you have to turn the page at some point, and I'm glad and happy now when I get a chance to work with John Sadak. Yeah, he's been very impressive. Maybe we can get him to come on here with us sometime. I'm sure he's available. Uh, I'm sure I'll mention something to him, and uh, we can get that set up. That would be great. I wanted to ask you about the changes in the TV booth this year. And Barry Larkin was brought aboard, and he's he's doing the home games, and you're doing some radio and and that kind of things. And, and for those of us that are big Chris Welsh fans, that means less of of what we get to hear, which is you, what we want to hear. Was that was that your decision? Was that made by the Reds or Fox Sports Bally's, or, or how did that come about? Yeah. In the world of broadcasting, uh, Bill, except for a few very select people, you know, like a Marty Brenneman or Vince Scully uh, and Costas, uh, do they ever consult the broadcaster himself and say, hey, what is the ideal thing for you to do? Uh, usually these, these decisions are made elsewhere for uh, lots of different reasons. Uh, you know, Barry Larkin has been in the fold, the Reds fold, for a long time. And quite frankly, I'm surprised that uh, he's, he's, you know, such a natural fit. Uh, for broadcasting that he didn't want to do this, uh, you know, 10 years ago. But he's been inside the Reds Meyer League organization as a roving instructor. Uh, he loves to give back, loves to teach kids the game of baseball. And, the, you know, the opportunity for him came this year uh, with the changes that were in, made with John Sadek, you know, taking over the play-by-play, uh, that they decided that uh, they would bring him in as well. So uh, he uh, got to end up doing all the home games. Uh, I ended up doing the away games minus the 25 games that Jeff Brantley has promised on TV. And uh, to kind of make up for that, the Reds uh, uh, moved me over to radio for almost 40 games. And I'm also doing uh, about 30 games or so, uh, right around that number on the pre- and post-game show for the Reds TV. So for me, uh, Bill, it's kind of a utility role, uh, you know. And uh, I think it's kind of exciting for me, to be honest with you. I like the way things are changed up. Uh, different doing post game than it is doing regular game. Uh, certainly, it's different doing you know radio and, and play by play on radio than I do as an analyst on TV. So uh, it's keeping everything fresh for me. How do you have to adjust your your approach to a broadcast between the radio and TV? Well, I prepare my scorecard in a completely different manner. Uh, when I do TV, I'm looking for things that would uh, not duplicate what the play by play guy does. Uh, so I don't necessarily need a, a whole notebook full of batting averages and OPS and things like this. I'm looking for the outlier statistic, uh, what the trend is, uh, where this pitcher is throwing his breaking pitch, 
what is he throwing on the first pitch of counts? Uh, what hitters are hitting uh, fastballs versus hitters are hitting cutters and sliders and curveballs and things like that. So I'm looking for more analyst stuff when I'm doing TV. Uh, maybe a little background, a story here and there. Uh, maybe it's, I, I call a lot of scouts every day, talk to scouts and people front office everywhere, and trying to get a little insight as to you know what they see as well. So uh, when I do with radio, on the other hand, it, it's much more black and white. I have a scorecard that has uh, all the basic statistics on it, uh, you know, plus a couple of things that maybe are, for a lot of people are outliers. You know, uh, uh, how much a guy strikes out versus how much walks. You know, just putting the ball in the air, things like that. But in radio, you got to keep your story short because you have to describe the action. On TV, you can tell a little bit longer story because the television describes the action. Well, going, jumping back real quick to the to the changes in the booth, was there ever any talk about a three man booth? Uh, yeah, there is. There was, and there will be some three man booths. It'll be just a handful of them. Um, and there are some other teams that do that quite a bit. The Yankees, mm-hmm. for instance, have a three-man booth almost all the time uh, with David Cohen and Paul O'Neill and Michael Kay. Um, it, it's expensive. I mean, if you're an owner or a television owner and you add one more person to that booth, you know, you've increased the cost by <laughs> that's 33%. So yeah. I, don't know, I, I think that's probably one reason why you're not going to see that on a daily basis in the Reds market. And just after listening to Barry for the first couple of weeks here, I think it'd be really interesting to hear you and he discuss your your differing views on on today's game. Uh, well, uh, it would be, and I think the other thing is, I worked with Barry one time already, and that was on the opening day, and I learned some things about hitting and uh, fielding that I didn't know, and, and uh, so I, I think we come from different perspectives on uh, the game because I have a pitching perspective, and he's got a hitting and fielding perspective. Um, you know, I, I think it would be very interesting. I would relish uh, the chance to, to work with him on a more regular basis. Well, hopefully some of that will come about, and that will be fun. Let's start talking a little baseball, though, Chris. Let's, uh, this week, Jay Bruce retired, and I wanted to talk a little bit about Jay for a minute. And, and, and I feel kind of a sense, and I don't even know what the right word is, loss or, or sense of ownership with Jay. But I probably saw Jay at more levels of baseball than, than anybody outside the Reds organization. I start, I, the first time I saw him play was in the Gulf Coast League in Sarasota. And then I interviewed him in Dayton in the dugout, saw him play in high A in, in Sarasota. In fact, we were at the game when he got pulled out of the game was told he was going to double A because he came out of the dugout to coach first base with a big smile on his face. And we, we were sitting right behind the dugout. We said, you going up? We got a big nod out of him. Then I saw him at AAA, and I was at one of his first games in, 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 with the Reds. So I, I really feel attached to Jay Bruce. I don't know if that makes any sense. How would you summarize Jay's career? Oh, you know, he gets a good guy award almost every year. Because he was a solid stand-up player. Uh, in, in a lot of ways, Jay Bruce fulfilled the promise that the Reds had for him when they drafted him high as a high school kid out of, out of uh, Texas. Uh, in other ways, because you, you saw flashes of brilliance and, and superstardom out of Jay Bruce, uh, I think some fans thought that there was just a, a constant underachieving on the part of Jay Bruce. There was maybe just, just too many strikeouts. There was just not an adaptation to hit the ball the other way. Uh, but when he hit the ball, it stayed hit. And he played every day, and uh, he was a great teammate. And uh, I, I think that had I played with Jay Bruce as a, as a player on the same team, I probably would have appreciated it much more than I would as a fan or a broadcaster 
because you have a tendency as a fan and broadcaster to see more of the blemishes, and you don't see the behind-the-scenes things that, that balance that out. And uh, from everybody I've ever talked to who got close to Jay and they played with him, uh, he was a great teammate. And that's probably the best thing you can say about a player after he retires. Well, I went. I kind of dove into his numbers a little bit, and, and with the Reds, he averaged 25 home runs a season. He had a 17.3 wins above replacement in his nine season with the Reds. His OPS plus was 110 with the Reds. He's eighth on the Reds career home run list. He was fifth in Major League Baseball in home runs in the time that he played. He's three-time All Star, two-time Silver Slugger, top 10 MVP voting twice. And yet, as you just said, some people can consider he was a disappointment because he was the number one minor league prospect when he came up. And unless he was the best player in baseball, do you think anybody would have ever said that he achieved what he was expected to do? Well, it's hard. I mean, you know, when you come in with a lot of ballyhoo, sometimes no matter what you do, you're going to disappoint. Uh, and I think that was probably the case with Jay Bruce. You know, remember also when you start quoting all the, the home run times, that you know, he was hitting in the home run era. Uh, when, when guys were going deep an awful lot. Uh, and, and it was the beginning of the time when strikeouts began to mean less and less. Uh, I mean, the cover boy for that is his teammate, Adam Dunn, uh, who, you know, had he been born 20 years later, he would have been right in the middle of things right now as far as walk, strikeout, or home run. Uh, Bruce balanced that out because he was a tremendous defensive player. He made himself into one of the best right fielders in all of baseball. Uh, he was able to negotiate that foul line down uh, uh, both in Synergy Field and in Great American Ballpark where, uh, you know, I don't think so, but I'm pretty sure that, uh, you know, when you get down those lines, uh, those corner outfielders have to negotiate, you know, the foul, the foul lines as well as the walls behind them. And uh, he was one of the best players at doing that. And I uh, came up with some big home runs. And you know, I always look back on, on Jay Bruce's career very fondly. There were times he disappointed, maybe underachieved, uh, but nobody hits a home run every time up. Reds Hall of Famer, no doubt, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, there's no question about that. Uh, I mean, he, he'll, he'll fill the convention center. Uh, people love Jay Bruce. He never, you know, he never uh, uh, showed his disdain with the organization on his way out the door. Uh, you know, no name-calling of the owner, uh, no accusing uh, you know, ownership of favoring somebody else instead of him. I mean, he just went about his business uh, with a smile on his face, and he was a good guy to have around. We haven't, we haven't talked in a while, so, so let's just do, talk a little bit about the Reds' offseason. Dick Williams left, uh, Nick Carl took over, and, took, and, and ended up wearing two hats, the general manager hat and the head of baseball operations uh, hat. Can he do both of these jobs and do them, do them well? And, and was this a baseball decision or a financial decision or a little bit of both? You know, I don't know uh, whose decision and why they did what they did. Uh, I know that Dick had uh, other you know, options in his life uh, that you know were attractive to him, and I've been keeping in touch with Dick Williams, and he's very busy and he's very happy doing what he's doing. Uh, he also feels like he has a thumbprint on this ball club. Uh, and a lot of the acquisitions uh, that the team has made, you know, like Wostakis and Castellanos and so on, uh, those were, uh, you know, he was a point man when they made those deals. Uh, so he feels like this is his ball club. Uh, and I also, I also think that Dick Williams feels like, you know, the changes that they've made, trending towards more analytics, beefing up the, the number of analysts they have, the different types of specialist coaches that they have and so on, basically taking the team you know, into the 22nd century is something that 
that he feels like he was a very important part of. So now those things that are in place, you know, they've decided what they're going to do with their pitching. They've turned that over to Kyle Bodie and, and, uh, and that particular philosophy on pitching. Uh, they've tried to change the way that they're teaching hitting uh, and so on. But now that those things are in place, uh, I think you can do both jobs at the same time. I mean, we'll find out, but I think, the, I mean, Nick Crawl is probably one of the busier guys at baseball. Uh, but at the same time, I wouldn't anticipate a lot of action going on as far as trades and pickups and things like that. It's a 24-7 job, uh, but I think that he's got the, the people behind him to be able to handle it. You, you mentioned the, what's going on with the pitching, and, and the jobs being done in terms of developing pitching in the last couple of years. Are, I've been Reds fan for 50 years, and I've never seen the organization develop pitching like they have just in the last two years. What are your thoughts on, on Derek Johnson and Kyle Bodie and, and what they've done with the pitching in the organization? Is it as revolutionary well, as it seems to us on the outside, or were the Reds so far behind that now they're just doing what everybody else is doing? Well, first things first, to Derek Johnson, I mean, I mean, you have to have a good communicator who understands people and understands pitching in order to take all the scientific data that you have accumulated and teach a pitcher how to actually do something. I mean, uh, the same guys that are on the mound are not the guys you know, in, in the back room uh, you know, with algorithms in front of them, okay? So somebody has to figure out how to do that. And I think that's where Darren Johnson comes in. He's probably the, the single most important uh, uh, uniform person on the, in the Reds organization uh, because he's responsible for, for more than just one pitcher. He's responsible for all of them, ultimately. Uh, the Reds, I guess they were behind, uh, but at the same time, I'm a believer that there has to be a blend there has to be a blend of the analytics and the, uh, the data that you get to help pitchers along the way. But what the Reds have done is really remarkable as far as their commitment to this stuff. Uh, you know, pitchers need help all the time in improving their pitches. Well, they've got a data set on how to help a pitcher do that now. They never had that before. Uh, they have uh, a whole strategy on how to get pitchers, how to have, get them to throw harder. And it's not an experiment. They're, they're using uh, uh, strategies and, and protocols that actually work. You know, underload training, overload training, and so on. And it goes all the way down to the minor leagues. Uh, so I, I like really what they've done as far as the adaptation of it. But at the same time, uh, you have to keep in mind that, you know, while you learn how to throw a faster fastball and a better shaped breaking ball and a, a higher spin rate curveball, Somebody, you know, and the analyst can tell me how to do that, but somebody has to teach this 19 and 20 year old kid how to pitch. How does that kid pitch and survive on a night when he doesn't have that good fastball? How does that kid um, understand what it takes to uh, deliver a pitch under pressure uh, with the game on the line, on the road, when, when he's got 20,000 people screaming at him? So those are the things that or the human side of baseball and human side of pitching that you just can't, you can't forget about. And, and, and uh, to do so, we'd only build half a pitcher. Speaking of, speaking of Derek Johnson, do you know anything about his contract situation, how much time he has left, anything like that? I, I do not. I, I'm sorry, I don't. How, how important do you think it is that they do everything they can to keep him? I think he's I think he's the most important person in the red uniform. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean... <laughs> You know, to compare him to maybe who you think may be the most important player, okay, and then compare the two salaries. I mean, 
can kind of come up with your own answer. Yeah. Going into this season, I, I don't think anybody could say that this team had a stronger roster than last year, losing Bauer and Iglesias and, and, Art, you know, and Bradley. And I guess maybe if Senzel stays healthy and Akiyama continues to improve, you might be able to say it. But what's your biggest concern about this team? Well, they had gaping holes to fill. I mean, they, they, they traded away supposedly their best arm in Iglesias, didn't get anything in return. That was a money deal. Uh, they, um, you know, lost Trevor Bauer. If, if Iglesias isn't your best arm, but Bauer is. And what he's doing in L.A. is, is, is really <laughs> interesting to watch. Um, but, you know, the one thing that they have going for them this year is, is the intangible of, a full season in the clubhouse with some leadership, finally. This is the one thing that the Reds have lacked for so long. There's been so much uh, emphasis on what a player can do on the stat page that they have forgotten all about what leadership is. And when Castellanos flexed his muscles in the Cardinal game, and when Moustakas calls for, for players-only meetings in the, club, in the clubhouse, those are the kind of leaders that the Reds have needed for a long time. And, uh, you know, some people say, well, you got to go all the way back to 1999 and Greg Vaughn and Lenny Harris and Barry Larkin, you know, to have that kind of leadership. And I would agree. Um, you know, you, you've got to have it in the clubhouse. You've got to play with an edge. And Cassianos does that. Naquin brings that. Uh, and I think it's helped Senzel a little bit, uh, coming out of his shell a little bit. And I think, that, you know, that now you have India, who, who kind of plays like a little bit of a grinder. Hey, I, I got to play like this too. And the other guy who I really see the difference in between this year and 2019 is Jesse Winker. I think his attitude on the field, his body language, is completely different than it was in 2019, and all for the better. Okay. What? What is anything surprised you about this team in the first three weeks? They're hitting a lot better than I thought they could. It uh, doesn't mean they're going to hit all year long, but uh, what's really surprised me is how athletic uh, Tyler Naquin is. I uh, always heard he was a really good player, one time a really top prospect, always had some injuries that held him back. Uh, but uh, that has been a nice surprise. Uh, how Votto is able to hit a fastball this year is a nice surprise as well. Uh, I mean, he looks confident at the plate. His, his bat-to-ball uh, swing is, is uncanny. Uh, he's really, really good, and uh, uh, I'm, I'm looking for this offense to continue to chug right along. I think so far this year, the, the story of this, the, the the big story for the Reds is Jonathan India. I mean, the kid went from being a, a long shot to even making the team to open opening a season at second base. What what have you seen out of him that's impressed you? I know he struggled after the first week, but tell me what you see in Jonathan India. I like the way he plays the game. Uh, he's engaged in the game. He's engaged in those spring training games, which is sometimes hard to do. Um, the word I get from – now, remember, I don't get to watch this guy practice, uh, really, uh, except for batting practice. In spring, spring training, we weren't even allowed on the premises down there with the, with the, uh, uh, where the workout center is. So all I saw was him in games. But, you know, talking to a lot of the – Scouts, not only Reds people, but other people. I mean, they just really like the way he plays the game. And I think, and he's athletic. Uh, he runs uh, maybe a click above average. Uh, you know, he doesn't have really the arm to play third base. They, they put him in a solid spot in second. And uh, he gets along with his teammates. And I think he, you know, come back again, plays the game the right way. You, you can't get enough of those guys. I, I want to, uh, I'm going to kind of bridge from Jonathan India to, 
Suarez here in the in the shortstop position, and, and I, I give Suarez all the the kudos in the world for moving to short to help to help the team. And but boy, he's been bad defensively, and and I, I have to wonder, and I, I guess I'm asking. How much of India at second base was due to his really good spring and what he showed last year, apparently, out at the ketchup factory? And, and how much of it was Suarez moving to shortstop and then just moving things around to get more offense in the, in the team, on the field? Well, I, I, I never really felt that the Reds were comfortable having stocks at second base. So they were trying to figure out a way to get you know, him over to third, which is his more natural position. But you already have Suarez there, so what are you supposed to do, right? And Torres is up to 15 pounds lighter and looks like a shortstop, acts like a shortstop. Hey, let's move to the shortstop. That solves the shortstop problem. And they had a major problem, okay? Um, you know, uh, I just don't think that Kyle Farmer is, is, is best suited on this ball club as the number one shortstop day in and day out. So they were able to rectify that problem. And all these changes. You know, you, you help Peter and you say Paul, that kind of thing. So, you know, you, you, you have to maybe put up a little bit of a blip in defense with Suarez and shortstop because he hasn't been there. He may not be the true shortstop that you're looking for. Uh, he certainly is no Lindor. Uh, but at the same time, uh, he's a threat. And uh, supposedly now, defensively, you're putting these players where they're, they're going to hit the ball. And, you know, rarer and rarer do you see a great shortstop play. You used to see a great shortstop play once a game. When you see it once a week, so maybe the defense isn't as important as you thought. There's been a lot of talk about the Reds' outfield, especially with Naquin getting off to a good start and, and how effective Aquino was before he got hurt. And, and Akiyama's back in early May, and somebody's going to have to go, aren't they? They're not going to carry six outfielders, I wouldn't think, would you? No, but it's funny how things tend to take care of themselves, don't you? I mean, just as Akiyama begins to get healthy, here you have uh, Aquino goes on the DL with a handmade bone surgery. So, uh, you know, that's why ball clubs have to be patient. I think I've heard the term one time, excruciatingly patient uh, with their young players coming up and also with their roster decisions. But the way that the roster is, is right now, I don't see a lot of room on in playing time for, you know, Akiyama. And as good as he was towards the end of the year last year, he's got used to the speed of the game, and I like watching him play. He plays fundamentally terrific baseball, uh, throws to the right base, and the right place at the right time. But uh, I don't know who he plays ahead of. He doesn't, uh, he doesn't play ahead of Winker. He doesn't play ahead of Sintel, Castellanos, or Naquin. So, um, yeah, the Reds are going to have to eventually make uh, uh, some roster decisions, but you know, those seem to take care of themselves. And, and none of these guys that we're talking about that, that might be a possibility in the outfield are going down. I don't see any of them getting through waivers, do you? Well, I, I don't know that. I don't know what the, uh, if the demand is for, you know, uh, Aquino, for instance. Uh, you know, other than, you know, I love the Eric Chiefs to that. But other than that first one that he had, I mean, I don't think this guy needs a little better plan at the plate. Yeah. Uh, strategy is terrible. I mean, how many times have we seen him take a fastball down the middle and then strike out and pitch in the turn? So um, uh, maybe it's repetition for him. Maybe he's too young to be a bench player. Uh, maybe moving him to a different organization would be better in the long run for him and maybe even for the Reds. I don't know, but... Uh, uh, right now, he doesn't play in front of the guys you have. Yeah. Um, I want to talk a little bit about pitching. Uh, your 
Michael Lorenzen was on the, got put on the 60-day and isn't expected back till sometime in June. Do you think that means he's in the bullpen the rest of the year? I don't know what it means. Uh, I just want to get him healthy. Uh, you know, he's, he's a great talent. Uh, and, you know, shoulder issues are those that you don't hear very much about anymore uh, because teams have figured out a way to make sure that, uh, you know, pitchers strengthen their shoulders and they basically – uh, eliminate a lot of the issues that, that happened back, you know, in the 70s and the 80s before, you know, pitchers were conditioned the way they are. So, uh, you know, get him healthy first. I imagine that uh, he probably will start the season in the bullpen. But again, you know, as I said, things have a way of taking care of themselves. You, you don't know what's going to happen here. Uh, all the pitchers that you have healthy right now are going to be healthy all year long. Everybody's keeping their fingers crossed now. Luis uh, Castillo struggled again last night early. Are you worried at all about him? I'm not. I think you got, you know, you got to get back to basics for Castillo. I mean, even when he struggles, I see a guy throwing 97 with the best changeup around. Okay, so what I'm seeing is um, let's get back to basics here, Luis, okay? Um, let's start, you know, it's kind of the numbers like 97 or what your spin rate is. What's the difference between changeup and fastball is? How about these numbers? How about first hit strikes? How about first two pitches in the strike zone out of the first three that you throw? Um, how about the pace of, pace of the play, uh, getting the ball and throwing it in 15 seconds or less, where you command the attention of the hitter on the, you know, on the field? Those are the kind of numbers that I want to see. Uh, and uh, at the end of the game, if Luis Castillo starts just getting back to basics, he's going to be fine. I'm not worried one bit. Uh, I think by the end of the season, you're going to look back on this and say, well, he got off to a tough start, but he finished strong. T.J. Anton's been an amazing story ever since last year. Uh, do you think the Reds are making the best use of him in the, in the bullpen? Yeah, I think they are right now. And, and I, you know, I think that's, that's kind of a – it's how you word that question, Bill. Uh, are the Reds making the best use of their pitching staff with him in the bullpen? rather than are they making the best use of T.J. Antone. You know, my responsibility is to go and run the pitching on that team. If it were me, I'd answer the first question, not the second question, because I could care less what I'm doing personally for these guys. I want to do with the best of the team. And right now, I think he you know, serves a, a very needed spot in the bullpen. You know, these guys aren't going seven or eight innings anymore, okay? Right. So you got your starters that are going four and five innings. You better have somebody who can give you two or three in the middle of the game and he is every bit as important as a starter. And uh, so that's why I like Anton where he is. Uh, I like what he's done. I think he's falling in love with his breaking pitch a little bit too much over the last few times out. Uh, but I think he'll get back to basics too. Uh, Amir Garrett has is, is really struggled since the season started. Uh, how much of that do you think was his limited spring training or how much of it is do you think is what looks to me be like natural inconsistency or is it some of both? Well, you know, it's deliberate. Anytime you're a big, tall guy, and Garrett's close to six feet, seven inches tall, little things that go awry in delivery are magnified at home plate. You know, look how long it took Randy Johnson to finally figure it all out, right? So, the new dude has a very fast beat of balance, meaning his in internal clock is quick. So, when he starts that delivery, he's really fast, and sometimes he gets just a little bit out of sync. He's still, in my book, he's got one of the best sliders in baseball. I'm not worried about Garrett, but he's got to find something in his delivery that kind of keeps it all together. Um, 
to, to smooth out. Even if he doesn't smooth out his delivery physically, mentally he's got to smooth out his delivery so that he can repeat. And once he starts repeating, he's as good as there is. Uh, and I think it does come back to spring training. You know, he was injured for the first part of spring training. He didn't get very many innings. And in the long run of this ball game this year, you know, the, the Reds have to be very careful how much they use Garrett uh, because you want him healthy all year long. As we start to wrap up here, I, I wanted to ask you uh, your thoughts on the Castillo suspension and, and Major League Baseball's ruling on it. Well, I, I don't know. It seems like every year they've got a different guy handing out the penalties to Major League Baseball. You know, two years ago and beyond that, it was Joe Torre. Uh, last year, the uh, last year and a half or so was Chris Young, who's now the general manager in Texas. Uh, now it's Michael Hill, former general manager, Cincinnati guy, uh, but he was a GM down in, in Florida for the Marlins for a long time. Uh, and he's a baseball guy. I know Michael. And But it seems like every one of these enforcers wants to put their thumbprint on the new way that we're going to do things. And I do know this. Baseball does not have any room for fighting on the field, or, uh, you know, beanball wars. So I think it's just kind of a warning shot to everybody out there that, you know, let's just play the game. Um, I thought it was an unfair uh, suspension in the very first place. I don't think he did anything to get suspended for. He didn't cause a fight. He didn't, he didn't hit anybody. He didn't charge him out. He didn't throw his equipment at anybody. I mean, he jumped up and had an emotional reaction of flexing over the pitcher. Pitcher got his feelings hurt, and he gets a two-game suspension. I don't like it at all, uh, but at the same time, what are you going to do about it? Serve your two games and get back there and take it out on the next team you play. As we're wrapping up here, what are the keys of the things? To, I mean, the Reds are a few percentage points in front of the Brewers as we go into us picking up a suspended game today. And, and what, what should we watch to see for this team to be successful as we move on? Well, I, I think you're going to need to see uh, Nick Senzel have a good year. And I think you're going to need to see Suarez uh, begin to get back to basics again and put the bat on the ball. The thing that scared me about Suarez at the beginning of the year is that he, he says he wants to hit 50 home runs. Well, you know, anybody who says they want to hit home runs when they go to the plate, rarely do they ever do that. Usually, you know, take me back to the days of uh, Tony Press saying I want to hit the ball hard, and then the home runs will take care of themselves. Um, and I think that will be the case with those guys. Um, the health of their pitching staff is very important. You can't lose Sonny Gray for an extended period of time. Uh, hopefully his back's going to hold up. And, uh, but overall, I think, um, can the bullpen throw enough strikes? They're, 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 this is the key for me. You've got to have a strong bullpen, and you have to have a lot of depth in the minor leagues because as you see more and more innings being piled on the bullpen, and we're only in April now, but when you get to July and August, and now your bullpenners have, you know, have 40 appearances, and they're getting beginning to get tired because they didn't get stretched out last year. Some of them didn't even play. Uh, this is where you're going to need a lot of arms. And I think that the Reds will eventually see, you know, we're going to eventually see some of these big-time prospects that uh, we've been looking for. I'm looking for a year that maybe later in the season we see a Nick Lodolo or Hunter Green or maybe one of the other uh, phenoms that are coming up through the organization because ball clubs are going to need arms, plenty of them. Yeah, and... and, and... Assuming the bullpen stays healthy and we need to do that rotation, though, they're kind of in a problem, though, because I think Perez is and, and De Leon are the only guys with options. So unless somebody went on the DL, they're going to be kind of grinding as to find ways to, to make that rotation to bring guys from Louisville up to, to supplement the bullpen, don't you think? 
Well, yeah, but, but that's, again, that's kind of the point I made is that you're going to see some injuries and you're going to see some guys that just need 10 days off to so put them on the injured list. Uh, I, I really think that, you know, this is uh, un- uncharted waters for a lot of teams out there right now with their pitchers. Uh, you know, how, how, how deep the Lettuce started going to the game? How is it okay to pitch in April? Uh, you know, do you want to skip over them in the rotation? Or pitcher uh, when you have an off day. These are the kind of things that really nobody knows the answer to right now. Um, but I think that if you have pitchers who can pitch rather than pitchers who can throw, it's going to give you an advantage. And if you have plenty of good arms in, in the minor leagues and in the alternative site uh, or the alternate site, uh, you're going to be able to uh, survive what's going to be a tough summer. Chris, I always want to ask you about the Baseball Rules Academy because I look forward to the emails that I get from them because it always tells, teaches me something I don't know. So what's going on at the Baseball Rules Academy these days? Well, uh, really a lot of things, Bill. We're trying to put together a series of rules of animated rules uh, that we can show on television and also show on the scoreboard uh, where you know, we don't violate any MLB video rights and so on. But I think knowing the rules is important. Uh, it's, to me, it's, it's, I'm still flabbergasted that uh, a baseball team will spend millions of dollars on analysts and uh, to, you know, to, so that they can you know, know everybody's spin rate and things like that when they got players walking around and don't have some of the rules that can win or lose a ball in a season. And, uh, you know, I, I think that they should coach better in that way. Uh, my website is meant for fans, coaches, and players, and I'm hired by as well. And I have a good time doing it. And uh, that's my main motivation. Uh, you yeah, you have you have one this week that I didn't know that about running out of the baseline when you weren't they weren't attempting to tag you, where a guy made a big loop coming between third and home to affect the the, the throw to the plate, and I didn't know that rule. I assumed he was out of the baseline. You know, he's out. And yeah, yeah, the runner doesn't establish a baseline until the fielder is making an attempt to play on him. And one one smite. Slight rule change over the last few years on that particular rule is that a fielder knows no longer has to lunge at the runner. All he has to do is make a move to that runner, and at that point, the runner has you know three feet in which to try to elude the tag. And if the umpire feels like he goes out of the baseline, he's out. So it's a lot easier on the on the fielders now without having to lunge. But I mean, you know, take a, take a uh, survey of, of big league players. Do they know that they no longer have to lunge at them? No. I mean, I'm looking at a guy the other day who was a fielder who went lunging at him. And the reason that the baseball has changed that is that they don't want the team, the defensive team to be penalized by a fielder chasing somebody out of the baseline and then not having the opportunity to start a double play. So um, I think it's a good rule, but there's all little, little nuances that have changed like that. Um, and I think that, you know, I sent out one yesterday. I don't know if you got it about uh, a runner being hit by a batted ball. I mean, the myth in baseball is if you're hit by a batted ball, you're automatically out, right? For a batted ball. Well, that's not always the case. Uh, it depends where the fielders are. It depends where they have uh, the field goal. It deflects off the field. It deflects off the pitcher. 
So there's a lot of different circumstances that you know you you may know and I may know, but I can guarantee you that you know 70% of the players in that clubhouse they don't know. And I always think the baseball team should spend a little bit more time teaching the players about the rules. Well, Chris, I, I, I always enjoy the time I spend talking baseball with you, and I want to thank you again for your time. And I always learn, I always learn something when we talk, and I appreciate that very much. And I, I hope we can get together maybe later in the season. You let me know anytime, Bill. Always happy to uh, be on a podcast with you. Remember that was baseballrulesacademy.com. I know you're a big supporter, but I appreciate that. And, they, you know, we're getting about 4,000 people a day on that site, so... It's beginning to get some traction, and we're having a little bit of fun. That's great. Oh, Chris, and, my, and Linda says hello. Okay. <laughs> and I will uh, I'll look forward to the next call, Bill. Okay, brother. Thank you very much. Take care. Take care. Bye. Thanks for listening to Red Leg Nation Radio from RedLegNation.com. Subscribe to Red Leg Nation Radio on iTunes or through your favorite podcast app. And join us for discussion of all things Reds at RedLegNation.com. 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. This Valentine's Day, Dunkin's got the perfect pairings to show your love. So get down on one knee with a dozen brownie batter donuts and a cocoa mocha signature latte. Or make them swoon with a strawberry dragon fruit Dunkin' refresher with a Cupid's Choice Donut. Are you ready for love? America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer.